But yeah, I got this mic from Amazon and it's really tricky. I mean, it's probably not that tricky, but there's like one button on it and you have to charge it, which really threw me for a loop. But the other tricky thing is that there's two parts to it. So there's a part that like has a mic and there's a part that like you plug into the computer. And, you have to, and so the mic connects to that thing in the computer. It doesn't connect to your computer. Right. I forgot the plug-in part. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> that is a key component I know <laughs> wow how many mics okay. have a plug-in part it's too much is your mic gone now yes I there's so there comes with like three different plug-in options depending on like what your computer needs so this was like an extra one oh so it, it should okay. be plugged in it says it's going through the mic okay so all right. So last time you didn't have the mic, this time you do have the mic. And I'm like hesitant to tell you that I feel like it sounds the same. It might. <laughs> After all my investment in this. <laughs> I know. I, I don't want to tell you that you wasted $15, but <laughs> I feel like that's where we're headed. You know what? I feel fancy though. You look fancy. <laughs> do I? No, 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 you do. <laughs> you look professional. You have like an actual mic. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, maybe it'll cut out some like background noise or something. I don't know. But I'm also a little dubious because it like the clip on one, it goes to your shirt and it like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's closer than my computer mic, but it still seems like it's not super close. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Can you like, well, it's pointing the opposite direction of your mouth. Can you I like know. I don't point know it? it. Well, because all the weight is on that. But I also don't want it like on my neck because then I feel like it would bump and then it would. Oh, yeah. I need like, I guess, a stiff collar or something. I think that's what it's made for. Yeah. <laughs> you need to like dress up for the pod in like a blazer and business suit and then just clip it. I think that's what I'm missing. Then I'd really look fancy. Yeah. I feel like you're not taking this pod very seriously. <laughs> I showed up in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah, you're showing up in your pajamas. Just that's it. Uh, so sorry for coming late, but I had to make coffee. Oh, um, and then I realized it's good. Um, but then I realized you're an hour behind me, so it's even earlier for you. I know. I woke up early to put on my pajamas, so I'd look nice for this. I know you're committed. We, because uh, I work from home, I'm always in my pajamas. And yesterday we, we had like this plumbing leak and then this plumber came and I was just like straight up in my pajamas, like baggy t-shirt, loose pants. And my husband, Andrew was like, Hey, Candace, like the plumber's here. Like maybe you could put on like something that was like a little more coverage. Cause the pants are like a little skimpy. I will admit <laughs> And he's asked multiple times, but the plumber just kind of came on. And I mean, I knew he was coming that day, but he just showed up and I was like in my pajamas. And part of me was like, I feel like it's fair because when he was going to fix the leak, he had to like crawl. It's hard to describe, but my house has like, we call it the murder hole and it's where all of our pipes and plumbing live and you kind of have to crawl into it. And it's kind of like a dirt pit. And if that doesn't make sense to you, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a dirt pit. So he, the plumber was, yeah, 
into the hole. So the plumber's crawling into the murder hole and like his pants totally slide down. And I see like his whole butt. You know, they always talk about like the plumber's crack. And I was like, I think that's fair. I think we're even now. <laughs> we both were a little revealing. <laughs> yeah. I showed him mine. He showed me his. <laughs> now we're even. <laughs> now we're even. So much closer now. <laughs> There's a little more yeah, but than before. Yeah, but I left him in the murder hole and then I ran upstairs and changed into proper clothes. And then when I when he reemerged, I was much better dressed. So I'm wondering what he thought. We're like, who is this person? She wasn't here before. <laughs> <laughs> there was that little homeless girl who let me in. <laughs> Does she even live here? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so are you yeah are you ready for hawaii no i went to hawaii are you ready for alaska the other state no the other state not connected to the other 48 the other little square in the (laughs) atlantic ocean (laughs) i guess it's pacific yeah yeah we leave on monday which is exciting so i still need to pack i don't entirely know what to pack i guess i'll need to bring out all my winter clothes I would bring definitely a mix because the cruise itself is not going to be cold on the inside. I know. I think layers are the way to go. I I mean, it's going to be like 50 to 60. So it's not even going to be super cold. Yeah. So, so I don't really know, but yeah. I'd probably bring like one jacket, one durable jacket. Yeah. But it's now a hundred degrees here in Texas. So I put away all of my clothes that aren't tank tops. (laughs) yeah you guys are like do you guys have like stay inside orders yet (laughs) we've had we've had some crazy weather in the spring and it was like a lot of freezes we've had a lot of thunderstorms which is weird and now I think Texas is just like all right we gotta warn everybody if there's a drop of rain and so you get like all of these messages and Josh gets all these emails from his school about like severe thunderstorm emergency emergency everything's canceled go indoors <laughs> and then it doesn't even rain and we're like <laughs> so we've had that a lot um so we've had those orders we haven't had stay-at-home orders yet but we really should honestly everyone should just leave texas in the summer that should be the order that's what we're doing <laughs> the order is abandoned ship <laughs> but don't go for more than six months because we do need oh do you guys have income tax you probably don't um do we no we don't i don't have an income so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) chrissy is a professional student right now so (laughs) you're 15 and running (laughs) i don't think they have income tax um georgia has income tax so the joke is that you go live somewhere else for six months in a day so that you can avoid the income tax but still have the benefit of living at Georgia uh-huh. yes yes we're not rich enough for that option or have enough money for it to even matter <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure that's a good strategy if you <laughs> fall in that category well the real strategy is so Atlanta is very close to the Georgia border so it, you could do an hour drive and then you're in Tennessee 
and that has no state income tax. Wow. So you could really just, yeah, you could just buy like a little hovel on the other side. (laughs) A little shire. Yeah, not a shire, like a shack. (laughs) That's what a hovel is, right? I probably, it just reminded me of a hobbit. That's what I was thinking of. A small, squalid, unpleasant, or simply constructed dwelling. It'll fit right in with your little short shorts over there. Yeah, my little homeless attire. I'm like, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Um, but yeah, so you just buy like the smallest, dumpiest thing that you could afford. And then you live there or you, in air quotes, live there for six months in a day. And then you save your income tax. Do you guys have your hovel yet? No. It's a really bad time to buy a house. You can't even a hovel is expensive. (laughs) They're on to your trickery. (laughs) Yeah. Texas made that not an option because to get out of Texas, it's minimum eight hour drive in any direction. (laughs) Even if you're you're on on the border. border. No, even if you're on the border, you hit like a time loop. But you know what? Yeah, you hit a time loop or Texas is really good at their marketing and they like indoctrinate all the people growing up like Texas is the best. You never want to leave. And they also say Oklahoma is the worst. You never want to go there. (laughs) So if you're on the Texas Oklahoma border, you're like, I'd rather pay tax. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, that's smart. They really have a system going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts before we get into this thing? Um, I don't know. Not super much. Josh's flight was canceled yesterday. So actually he's here. Oh, so he didn't go on the boys trip. He didn't go on the boys trip. Yeah. So we're going to have our own bachelor weekend this weekend and bachelorette weekend, but not really because we're married. So <laughs> it's just going to be a normal weekend. <laughs> like, this sounds like really lame. Okay. Um. <laughs> to have like a bachelor weekend with just your wife like and no friends like I could see like a group of friends and you're like going out and doing something too crazy right yeah too crazy we watched an extra episode of Ted Lasso last night instead that was pretty crazy that is pretty crazy that's married life for sure (laughs) all right time for book yeah lead us in with the intro Oh, yes, that's right. So in case you did not know, this is Bookalicious, a podcast where two sisters chat about books we're reading. And this is now our third chat about Elantris, which is one of Candy's favorite books. Oh, I'm Chrissy. And I'm Candy. Candace. <laughs> Surprise. <gasps> All right. So um, this is Elantris. Um, we're talking about, is it chapters 11 through 14 today? I think. I think that's where we left off. Or no, maybe it's 12. 11 through 14. We started at 10. Um, we got to... We're on chapter 12. Oh, you're right. We only did two chapters yesterday. It took us an hour. God. No, no, we did okay. 9 to 11. Oh, okay. I feel better now. A little better. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to do chapters 12, 13, and 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Which is nice. You have another cycle of everyone's perspective. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So that kind of worked out. Yeah. Like we planned it. We did not. So we did a pretty in-depth summary in the last episode, kind of introducing the characters and whatnot. Um, why don't we just do like a real quick 
hit the highlights on each chapter and then we'll jump into chapter 12 what do you think yeah like highlights of the ones we talked about yesterday Mm -hmm. oh yeah Yeah. let's do it okay i'm here for the high level highlights all right so um chapter nine is from the perspective of harathan and he's Mm -hmm. trying to um convince the like noblemen that um the lantrians are awful and they should all band together and they should all worship jada because that's his mission is to convert everyone in three months then chapter 10 we're back to rayon i do want to add sorry i know i said just the highlights but i do want to add that diloff is quickly becoming my favorite character on the second (laughs) read because he's constantly giving hate speeches he doesn't say anything he's very quiet and then every time he talks he just gives a hate speech (laughs) he's so wild and then everyone else is just silent they're like oh yeah (laughs) i I love that part (laughs) yeah i love everyone just seeing it be like okay so i gotta go now (laughs) (laughs) you love is kind of growing on me too like wouldn't want to be his friend for sure but i kind of like that he's here yeah i would want a camera crew on him (laughs) he needs a reality tv show this book is really about (laughs) d-law hot take (laughs) (laughs) okay so chapter 10 sorry all right all right back to our review all right, so chapter 10, we're back to Ryoden, and Ryoden is now making his own gang in Elantris, um, and it's going pretty well. Mm-hmm. He's pretty good at recruiting people. Um, we also talked about how this book is a lot about, like, society, and, like, if you're to build a society, what would it be like? And Ryoden is very empowering, and he's trying to, you know, help people see purpose and have hope in Elantris, even though they are physically dead. They don't have to be actually dead. So that's kind of his thing. Um, anything else to add? No. All right. And so then chapter 11, which was the last one we talked about yesterday, was with Serene. Um, and Serene got to sit in on the boys club meeting at her uncle Keen's house. Um, and she kind of similar to Harath and is trying to like win over these people. Um, and so she's very witty and clever. And so she was able to get a seat at the table. But she says, even though I had a seat, I wasn't part of the discussion. So then she had to do a little bit more, you know, clever, witty things. Um, and mm-hmm. it ends with her having this great idea that they all accept. Um, oh, right. It was a, it was a treasonous meeting. We keep forgetting that part. <laughs> <laughs> the boy, yeah, the boys club, they were meeting up regularly planning treason and then Rayod and their leader got in their perspective killed or he died. So then they were gonna, they don't know what they were going to do with their treason meetings. And then Serene came in. Right. And so Serene came in. She's like, I'm your leader now. And one of the old guys was like, what? I thought it was me. But then she's so <laughs> clever and witty and wonderful that everyone's like, okay, Serene, kind of. And so yes. Serene's idea is, okay, all you noblemen, instead of, you know, having slaves work all your land, actually, you should give them part ownership and give them 10% of the profits. And then we'll everyone will see that the workers are actually going to be so much better and happier and everything will be improved and then um king iodin and everyone else will see the fault in the current system that's set up and it'll mm-hmm. be amazing everyone's like okay sounds good yeah and that's it so before we go on i'm just kind of curious who is your favorite character aside from Diloff? let's put Diloff to the side because we know he is a winner yeah, he's charging to the top. But aside from him, who would be like your next? I really like this character. Or okay, I 
do like Ray Odin a lot. I think he's cool. He seems like clever and fun, but like Serene is that also, but Serene seems kind of annoying. She seems a little bit too, I don't know, maybe like a little too perfect kind of thing. So I do like Ray Odin. I mean, I, Serene's great on me too, though. Um, I really like Galadin in Elantris, like Ray Odin's yeah. you know, little mentor guy. Um, I think he's cool. He just seems like he has a lot of wisdom and he's like, I don't know. He like Ray Odin is like super excited and optimistic and Galadin has a little bit more like seasoned experience where he's like, mm, I don't know about this. And I just kind of appreciate that. I I agree with that. I feel like the problem with Serene for me is that she feels almost unbelievable mm-hmm. a lot of times where it's like, how do you always know what to say? And then you say things and you're like, that's ridiculous. And everyone's like, genius, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so she just keeps going down that path, actually. Oh, it just continues. Well, I think so, especially in the next chapter when we get to it um, about Serene. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's so- one part in the next chapter where things don't go completely her way. And you're like, huh. You could- That's true. One of the things with in Serene's chapter that we didn't get to last time is that um, she was like, I can't believe like how behind that I've gotten that I haven't been going to the town balls since I've arrived. And I'm like, girl, you've been there for 10 days. And apparently there's been like five balls or something. Yeah. I know. Also, can you believe it's only been 10 days? I'm like, my gosh. <laughs> I know. I'm like, it's 10 days. It takes me 10 days to unpack my suitcase. <laughs> and she's already like made an enemy overtaken a treason group i'm like you're doing a lot girl you need to give yourself like some credit you need a day off over there she does need a day off i think she'd be less annoying if she took a sleep okay so let's get into it so we have chapter 12 which is from hrathen's perspective but really Diloff, because we love Diloff. Yeah, I think moving forward, I'm going to start trying to think of how Diloff is seeing everything. Maybe cool. rewrite the chapter from his perspective. Make our own fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everything from Diloff's perspective. Yeah. So do you want to give a quick high-level summary on chapter 12? Okay, yes. Yeah. So actually, Diloff does play a pretty important role here. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, we're back to Arathen, and he's again trying to win people over. Um, in this chapter, he's leading the church service, and he's giving, like, his sermon. And it says that he's, like, giving the sermon that he's given lots of times before. And he, like, knows all the words. He knows how to say it well. and knows how to say it convincingly. Um, and so he says it, and he's like, all right, very good, everyone. Have a wonderful week. See you next Sunday or whatever. Um, but then yeah. as he's going down, oh, did you have something? No, I'm oh, like yeah. in anticipation. Yeah, okay. And so then as he's like, you know, leaving his podium or whatever, um, people start leaving, but then Diloff jumps up. He's like, I have something to say. <laughs> and then everyone comes back and Diloff gives this like super passionate hate speech again. <laughs> and everyone is just entranced and they're like, what's he going to say next? And he gives this whole thing and he like really riles up the crowd and really energizes them. And then they, he ends his speech and then everyone gets super excited. And they're like, yeah, we do need to hate the Elantrians. Actually, I don't know. Was that even what it was about? He, they were just very convinced over whatever Diloph was saying. Um, and then Harathan was like, 
was that, oh, oh no, one of the Lord Duke Tellery or whoever, he comes up and he's like, wow, Harathan, great job giving this speech that was putting people on the verge of boredom so that then they were really ready for Delos' powerful speech. <laughs> and Harathan was like, this wasn't planned and I didn't want this, <laughs> but thank you. And it turns out that Delos was like, I was just overcome with passion. I had to say it. And Harathan was like, next time, ask me permission first. But really, he's like, that was what needed to happen. Yeah. So with Delof, what do you think his his deal is? Do you think he is, do you think he's being like sincere and how he wants to be the assistant? Or do you think he's more devious and he's like mm. plotting against Hrathen? Interesting. I kind of think he's sincere just because in the religion and I think maybe they talk about it in this chapter there's like a hierarchy of who they serve mm -hmm. and I think um Diloph like actually does believe the religion and actually is very passionate and zealous about it um and so if this is his like lot in life is to serve this person then he's gonna do it he's gonna do it well yeah I don't think he's I don't think he really has a devious side to overthrow Harathan but I think he, he just probably has... thinks that he should be, in, that Delof should be in charge. Like Delof thinks that he should be in charge. Yeah. So maybe he's having internal struggle of like, okay, I need to be the number two, but really I would be much better in charge. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, so this kind of starts dovetailing the difference between Hrathen and Delof. And so one of the things that we talked about earlier with a lot of Sanderson's books are a lot of like the duality where you'll have A or B. So with Harathan, you have someone who's coming from religion in a very logical sense who likes how there's order and he has faith because of his mind, his logic. And then you see Delof, who um, Harathan says that he wasn't like formally trained or like has the education that Harathan has, but he has this like unbridled feral passion for religion. And let's see. So there's this line that I highlighted. He being Harathan had always believed that he was the perfect follower of Jadith, that his Lord needed level-headedness more than he needed unbridled ardor. Now, however, he wondered. And yeah. so I feel like that's kind of two perspectives on how people sometimes approach religion and their beliefs. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, that um, Harathan is kind of representing like the legalistic side of things of like, you mm -hmm. have to follow this in this order and this in this rule. And like you said, very logical. Um, and Diloph is, yeah, more the passionate side of things. Um, yeah, there is. Did you have some other lines highlighted? I I everything with Delop just makes me laugh like when he was starting his speech Harathan says Delop just obeyed all the rules of public speaking he didn't vary the loudness of his voice he didn't look them in the eyes <laughs> it was just like this terribly like you know based on like what you should do in a speech everything was terrible but it was just like his passion it was like oh my gosh <laughs> have you ever seen a a speech or a sermon or some type of public speaking where someone maybe they don't have like that 
natural charisma, but their passion is just so palpable that you feel swept away with it. Has that ever happened to you? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe a little bit. I can't think of a particular time, but I'm sure there has been. I feel like I haven't either. I think what might be what it's coming to mind is like maybe in like the workplace where you have someone where it's like they are just so excited or have so much energy or passion about like this thing that they're working on even if you're like that is the most boring thing in the whole wide world but their excitement for it oh I know what this reminds me of in school when you have like a professor and they have I mean, school is so boring and sometimes you have someone who's talking about finance or something that feels very dry, but if the professor's just like so excited about it, it makes you excited about it, even okay. though the topic itself is kind of blech. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have experienced that. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm feeling about Diloff is that he's making this topic that the participants aren't necessarily super interested in his like excitement for it is making them excited about it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a little unnerving because I feel like I do that sometimes. I just get really excited about things, about mm -hmm. like, you know, math or something if I'm tutoring. Yeah. Like, this is so cool. And now I feel a little like D-Lop and that doesn't make me feel great. <laughs> but he is our favorite character, so maybe it's okay. Maybe that's why we like him so much. I'm like, there's something to D-Lop that's just, so familiar I can't put my finger on it <laughs> <laughs> as long as you use your energy for good and not hate speeches I guess that's true there there's that's an important distinction there mm -hmm. um let's see anything else um so one of I, the things yeah. oh go ahead no you first well no my thing was gonna be at the end so why don't you go Okay, so mine was at the beginning. Um, when Harathan was doing his speech, he, after that, he like kind of does what felt like an altar call to me, having grown up in church, where he's like, anyone who would like to swear themselves to their religion, like, please stand up. Right. And it kind of gave me pause about how, at least like with Christianity, that's like a very common theme where someone will give some type of sermon. It usually involves something about making the participant feel or recognize that what they're doing is like not right. And if they would like to self-correct, then they can come up and join the club. Right. And there can often be some fear things in there too, like health and other things that might make you more interested in <laughs> avoiding hell. I don't know. Maybe like, I think there needs to be a balance of logic and passion involved, mm -hmm. right? You can't have just one or the other. Do you think it makes sense for someone to sign up for a religion in a moment of passion or is it something that they should think about very carefully and 
like ponder on their own and come to it from like a more like rational state of mind? Right. That's a good question. I mean, I think you can definitely like start looking into something in a moment of passion, right? Like I think that's a fine mm-hmm. first step. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to sign up for something, you should really be that thing and really know what it is believing and what what you're actually signing up for. And that takes like time and Mm -hmm. through things and logic and really learning about like okay well it is christianity or like you know whatever the thing is Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i'm a little a little dubious if people do sign up like in this moment of like you know spiritual high or whatever Mm -hmm. um but that's not always a terrible that's not always a bad thing you know it's it could lead to the other part of Mm -hmm. thinking about things and like really knowing what you're signing up for so what I'm hearing is it sounds like your belief structure or how you approach your faith might maybe might be more similar to Hrathen versus Diloff, a little more logical and like thinking about, is that correct or no? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think so. So like, just like on a personal level, which one do I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like who do you resonate with more, I guess? Whose yeah. approach? Hmm. Yeah, probably more with Rathen of like, I thought about this and like, this makes sense. Yeah. A little Diloff sprinkled in there here and now. You need, well, and I think that goes to the the overall thing when um, Duke Tellery was like, that was excellent. And then Rathen's like, you need both. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting though. So I had another question before we get to the end um, was about Delos hate speech. So what I wrote is that Delos hatred of Elantris wasn't logical. It was irrational and feral, but they didn't care. Mm-hmm. And actually I'm thinking that's a quote. Um, I think that's what Harathan is like mm-hmm. thinking about. Yeah. Delos. And so my question is, do you think hate binds people better than love? Oh, interesting. Um, I feel like, I feel like the answer should be love. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. how it plays out. I think hate just gives us a more sense of like immediate urgency because there's often Mm -hmm. fear associated with it. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, we hate this group of people and we're scared because something's going to happen to us. So we really need to act now versus Mm -hmm. love is like, okay, we love this group of people and we need to help them. And they're, and we do need to help them now, but I feel like that's less urgent than my life is in danger, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think hate is a very effective method of unifying people. I don't think it's a good method, would not recommend. Um, but I mean, I think we kind of, I feel like we're living at a time where that's common too, which is a bummer. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you're, you're saying really strikes into like that primal fear. And I think there's something just very instinctual when you're like this group, exactly like you're saying, this group, we need to do something about them because if we don't, they're going to come after us. And so we hate them. I think the problem with the hate method is that if what you're bound by is hate, then you always need a group. Yeah. And as soon as you get rid of one group, then you need to direct it to someone else. Right. 
And then you kind of start, okay, we all hate the Elantrans because they don't believe in our religion at all. You get rid of them. Everyone believes their religion now. Now you start going after your own, being like, well, they're not religious enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And it kind of becomes a death spiral versus I'm imagining if you could be bound by love, then you see people like the Elantrans trans, you're like, we need to help them. And then once they get better, if they could, then you would go to the next group that needs help. Right. And everybody's getting a benefit versus hatred, which will eventually kind of turn. Yeah. On you at some point. Yeah. Being bound by a good thing just leads to more good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of like a death spiral versus a virtuous cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, what a bummer. seems like it's, do you think people are actually convinced and will stay? Cause that's part of the like, you know, altar call, super passionate thing either. It's like, you're feeling really good that day, but then the next day you're like, ah, I forgot, mm-hmm. you know? So do you think these people are going to stay with it? So I think something that, um, Rathen says that I was like, oh, he kind of gives, cause he's like, at first he's like, nobody, everyone's just listening for the spectacle of it. And he recognizes that. And not a lot of people come up for his altar call. But he says, as Shudareth, his religion, grew more popular in K, the town, the people at these first meetings would find themselves important by association. So as the religion starts picking up steam, your like original members are going to be like, I knew it was cool from day one. Right. So they, the people who signed up, would brag that they had discovered Shudareth long before their neighbors. And as a consequence, they would have to continue attending. Their pride, mixed with Hrathen's powerful servants, would override doubts, and soon they would find themselves swearing servitude to one of the artists. Right. And I think that kind of strikes this chord within people where um, you want to be consistent and there's like a lot of, there's a lot of research that talks about why people are like that. Um, but one of the things is that if you are a known liar, there's opportunity for the group to kick you out or ostracize you. So it's very important. It's just like this innate thing within people where you want to be consistent in what you say about yourself and what you believe. So basically, Krathen's kind of laying a trap for the people and the people who say, oh yeah, like I've been to this. As soon as they say it, they're kind of stuck doubling down, tripling down, even if they don't really agree with it anymore. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. One of the things you said reminded me of the quote from last time. I think got to be honest so that you can lie at the right moments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great philosophy. <laughs> yes but yeah that's a good point that yeah people who started going they're just gonna keep going which is is interesting because it kind of mirrors the noblemen who like also don't really believe the religion for what it is but just want it for the power and it seems similar for like just the normal townspeople it's like well this is giving me some level of social you know clout or whatever Mm -hmm. so I'm just gonna stick with this now I'm on like the in-group and was one of the first ones yeah Diloth is the only one and Hrathen, who really believed the religion, I think. Yeah, I, I know. know. 
Yeah. And I mean, there is the possibility where maybe you don't believe something at first, but after you keep doing it, you're kind of like, well, maybe now I agree with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Now that I've talked a lot, what was that point that you had at the end? Oh yeah. Okay. So they have this whole like church service or whatever. Um, but then we see at the end, Harathan is like, well, even though Diloc gave this really great speech, there's still something I can do that he can't do because he's a Gorn or whatever, like the high priest is called. Um, and so Harathan. Harathan's Harathan's says Jorn. He's a high level priest. Yes. Yes. Harathan's says Jorn. Um, and so Harathan goes into his room and he has a seon, but which is like little glowy orb thing. Um, but the seon is like kind of, I don't know, hidden in their little, it's like a safe or something kind of like no one else can see the seon and no one, he doesn't really want anyone to know that he has a seon because um, he mentions that similar to how he didn't like the, um, religious text being in like the common language because it's supposed to be in like the original language he doesn't like um dealing with what did he call it like the heathen arts or something and so the yeah. seon <laughs> so the seon is kind of part of like this other magic realm and he's like well we don't do that he's like but actually it's really nice because seons are kind of like a facetime and you can call like whoever so you can call like the um who's it called the wern yeah like the pope kind of <laughs> the pope <laughs> yeah um so anyway so harathan is here with his seon um and this poor seon is like you know his slave and <laughs> he doesn't treat it very well um but he calls the worm um and it leaves with them like starting this conversation um but it's interesting because the last line is harathan speaking to the worm and he says I have a proposal involving one of the lords of Aralon, great one. And so it, you know, we're like, oh, what's the proposal? So it kind of leads you on a little bit of a cliffhanger there. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting too. Um, so what do you think, what do you think about the proposal? Mm-hmm. What do you think about the cliffhanger? One of my thoughts on the proposal was maybe he's going to promote Diloph. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think he had mentioned that earlier of like, you know, I need to use Diloph in the right way. And like, I, I think he had mentioned something about making, or about like Arteth's this chapter. I don't know. Wait, is Diloph in yeah. Arteth right now? Uh, yeah, I think he is. Okay. I think that's, he's like a higher rank than a peasant, but he can never be super high up because he um oh because he wasn't born yeah oh okay okay so maybe that's not it so i don't know um so i don't know what his proposal is about i kind of took that as he was talking about tellery oh as the proposal kind of being like can i get tellery some clout like that's kind of because he's trying so if he can because in his strategy, he's like, if I can flip this first nobleman and Tellery, then everyone else will stop start flipping too. So that's kind of how I took it. Yeah. Um, but I can't really remember what the proposal ends up being. So it could go either way. Okay. Well, we're both, we'll both find out. So I had another question. So about Hrathen and the Sion, the little fairy ball. Um. 
the quote that I have is there were instances when there were instances where the enemy's arts proved valuable. Of course, only those with the most self-controlled and holiness could use the seons without being tainted. So what do you think? Do you see that in modern religions, not necessarily Christianity, but in general, where people higher up the food chain are like, I can do this because I'm of certain level, but if someone else were to try to do this, they would succumb to whatever type of temptation or sin right um I don't think I've personally seen that and I feel like if that were to happen it's a perversion of like what's supposed to be happening so I don't think anyone would say like yeah that makes sense you know I think that's just a miss or someone like abusing their power to say like oh I, I can do this thing because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. strong enough or whatever um but I don't think that anyone who's faithful to their religion would probably agree with that based on what mm-hmm. I know so do you think Prathen and his team with the the Wern or the Pope, so to speak, um, they're all using these seons. Do you think they are perverting their own religion in order to make life convenient? Interesting. Well, okay. Could it also be that, I mean, Harathen is very legalistic, right? And he's like, I don't even want this in other languages. And he said, I don't want to use the seons because they're part of like the dark arts. But maybe we're just getting a skewed view of the seance from his perspective. And maybe they actually aren't that bad. Like maybe it's not a perversion to use the seance. You know. So the seance are directly tied to Elantris. That is their magics. Hmm. And the fact that he keeps it locked up in a box and and he got the code that he had to memorize and it was never written down. Okay, right. I, I'm i inclined to believe that maybe he's like more strict about it than others, but I'm inclined to believe that they are the only ones who have the, the seance. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's a good question. Well, we'll sit on it. What are your thoughts? Um... I think the first part where you said where it's like if someone thinks I can do it but you can't do it because I'm better or whatever that is typically like a perversion of the rules it's kind of a convenient narrative to justify why you get to do something that others can't right um and I think it to me what this is indicating is that there are some very large holes in this religion of Frathen and he likes to be very logical and he says these are the things that we believe oh but we make these accommodations because x y and z which directly contradict everything else that we say Mm. so my kind of thought is that there might be some overall perversion within their religion and maybe a lot of these political conquests that they're doing might not be directly from the spiritual text as much as they are positing it to others yeah i like that yeah i think that's a good point i could see how harathan could maybe logic his way to this of like because there is something about like the different like races or whatever where like Mm -hmm. um 
Diloff wasn't born in the whatever place. And so he can't be a certain level. And so you could logic your way of like, well, I was born here. And mm-hmm. I, so I like, I actually am different from these other people, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it'd be a false narrative, but yeah. And I think with Rathen too, like he's so logical, he get he he is willing to compromise on his beliefs if he believes that it will lead to a greater good. Right. So I could see how this is consistent with a lot of his other beliefs where he's like, I think this is bad. Like he thinks killing people is bad. He's like, but I'm willing to crack a few skulls if I save more people, right? I thought the phrase you're going to say is crack a few eggs to make an omelet. (laughs) That went a different direction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he's willing to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. Um, That's a better way to say it. So I think he's like, I'm willing to do this bad thing because I'm able to communicate directly to the leader. It saves a lot of time. We're crunched on time. If I don't do this in three months, if I send them a letter, who knows when it will get back. Right. Yeah. Blah, very blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. Okay. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. So now we're at Ray Odin's perspective in Elantris. Yeah. This is a fun chapter. Mm-hmm. All right. Ready for a high level summary? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So we're back to Ray Odin in Elantris. Um, and Ray Odin is still building his gang. Um, he gets quite a few new people, um, and we see that, like, as he has his gang, um, and he's kind of, like, building his own society, he's building it through, like, empowering people and helping them find a purpose and have hope, and so he's kind of, like, putting them all to work of, like, well, what are you good at? He's like, okay, well, you can make a roof for this place, and, um, I think in this chapter, there's, like, someone who cleans, and so he's, like, cleaning up the house that they're staying in, um, and so like, even though Elantris is like full of slime and grudge and whatever else, um, Rayodin is like, well, we don't have to live in this. We can actually make this a nice place. So anyways, so we see Rayodin making his gang. Um, but the really big drama that happens here is that, um, he takes someone who should have gone to Katara's gang. Um, so Katara brings her whole army and they like march up to the house where Rayodin and all his people are. And she's like, Hey, we're going to fight. And Raiden's like, okay, but what if instead I showed you how to get into the palace? And she's like, okay, fine. And so Katara's been sneaking out. She snuck out a few times to try to get to the palace, but she hasn't been successful. So anyways, so Raiden and Katara meet later that night. And since Raiden was the prince, he like knows all the secret passageways. Um, and so they're able to get into the castle and they actually have to sneak through King Iodin's room, which is kind of scary, but they make it out. Um, and it turns out that Katara really just wanted to see her daughter because it turns out that she was married to one of the guardsmen in the palace. Um, so she sees her daughter, she leaves a message and like a necklace or something. Um, and they leave on the way out. Katara sees her husband, but her husband does not recognize her. Very sad. Um, anyways, but they make it back to um, Elantris. And when they're there, Katara and Ryoden now have this friendship and they're like, okay, well, maybe our gangs can be friends. Um, and Katara shows Ryoden her favorite part of Elantris, which is in her gang, they've been able to like rescue all the children and who have become Elantrians. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's like this room of happy kids who are all playing together and they don't seem like super affected by the hunger or the pain, um, which is awesome. But Katara tells him 
that there's a room elsewhere in their house where the kids who have like, you know, cracked and have kind of gone insane. Like they're just wailing in agony over there, which is really sad. But yeah, yeah. lots happened here. But I think that's kind of where it ends. Oh, oh, and there's um Ryoden has this idea that he tells Katara and he's like, hey, we can we can change this place. Um, and he notices that everyone's like offering that they bring into the city it all contains a bag of corn seeds and so his plan is mm-hmm. to actually plant food which seems like a great idea although mm-hmm. i don't know if the soil's very gonna grow very well but i don't know we'll see so anyways that's his idea mm-hmm. i think that's great uh great summary some of the things that i pulled out is there's this one scene before all of this happens with I know you're saying her name was Katara and that's from Airbender. Her name's Karada. I know. I was doing so good. I know. You were doing really, really good. Um, But if we say Katara or Karada, same, same. (laughs) But before he met up with Karada, um, Rayodin and Galadin are in his library looking through books. and Rayodin's like oh my god there's all these books on geography don't get it and then he finds a book on the um aeons which is the elantran magic right and he's starting to decode that because he thinks maybe he can find find out what happened with elantris and maybe try to fix their the magic right right yeah, that seems important. Yeah, so I wanted to highlight that. Um, the only quotes that I had was when Rayodin and Karada are going to the palace. They jump into a river and they are literally completely submerged in it. But since they don't need to breathe, it's totally fine for them. Right. And so while Rayodin's in the river he's just like thinking about life and just having just like mm-hmm. and then he when he emerges from the river he has water all filled up in his lungs because he's just having his mouth open I guess just having the water just get in there and he starts coughing and Karada's like you need to stop that because you're going to get a sore throat and it's never going to heal and you're going to have a sore throat for the rest of your days so this is the quote that I got Perhaps he, Rayodin, should have concentrated less on the theological metaphors of the trip and more on keeping his mouth closed. I like that line a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That made me laugh. I know. I like Rayodin. Look at him. Okay. Okay. So that was interesting because I have a prediction with that. Okay. My Mm -hmm. prediction is that um, there's been a few times where Serene has noted that her uncle Keen has like a scratchy throat. She's like, I need to ask him about that. And now um Ryoden had a scratchy throat from all of this I was like I don't know maybe there's something there maybe Keen has mm-hmm. a backstory maybe he was an Elantrin maybe that's why he's so secure in himself and mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like out of the loop on things but still has a lot of power mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know I just thought that was interesting there's two scratchy throats which is an oddly specific detail mm-hmm. yeah no I agree that is something we should keep an eye on um, did you find any quotes or anything interesting in this chapter? It was really just a lot of like narrative story stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a few things. So let's think. So some of them are about like um just Rodin's, you know, society that he's building. 
Um, mm -hmm. and Kahar is an old Elantrian who I think has already been there, but he like seeks out Rayodin to join them. And he said, I heard that you have a secret that makes the pain go away. And Rayodin's like, yeah, we do. He's like, what are you good at? And oh, this is the guy who wants to clean. And so he's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, you can clean. And Kahar, the old man is like, when are you going to tell me the secret? And Rayodin was like, you'll see. But I just thought that was I don't know. Like, I think the secret is that they are rediscovering their purpose and rediscovering hope. And that's a secret that helps the pain go away. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just thought that was like a good, I don't know, life lesson of like, there's definitely times to be sad and reasons to be sad. But sometimes it is a good move is to just like, I don't know, start serving others or like start living at your purpose or finding hope. And that even though you're not focusing specifically on your suffering or addressing that by doing this other thing that is very important to your like well-being and just to being a person it will address the the suffering yeah I think there's something definitely to that I remember when I was a kid and I was on my scooter and I was scooting around the neighborhood and I fell off and I looked at and I was like oh I was like I'm okay and then I got back up on my scooter and I looked at my knee and there's this deep red blood coming out of my knee. And I was like, <gasps> I got like lightheaded. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I had, I was in so much pain. And then I realized it was a leaf. And I like <laughs> flicked it off. And then I was like, oh, actually I'm totally fine. <laughs> and so I think there is like this chemical thing that happens with your brain where it's like, if you focus on oh, I have a headache or, oh, this or whatever, it feels worse Yeah. than if you're like, I recognize that I'm in pain, it's real. But if I try to focus on something else and distract myself, it makes the pain not feel so intense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good, a good lesson we see here. And we see that with Karada too because um, mm -hmm. there's a line she says at the end where she's like showing him the kids um, and she said something in my heart healed when I began to help them um, so I think we're seeing like this common thread of yeah rather than focusing on the suffering mm -hmm. turn your mind towards other things yeah and I think like the children how they're able to just like be silly and have fun and still be kids it kind of reminds me of when you have people who are living in poverty or living in like very bad conditions, but for the children, they're just kind of like, this is what life is. And they are still able to have fun and be kids. And they're, it kind of seems like they're very like resilient mm -hmm. to this lifestyle where as an adult, you kind of become jaded and you're like, I know it could be better or whatever it is. You become tired of it. Yeah. Oh, I kind of liked that. Yeah. I also, so yesterday when I was driving somewhere, I thought of this and I was like, huh, interesting. Of like, you know how when you see people who are, you know, homeless or something, but they have a dog and you're like, that's mm -hmm. interesting. Cause like the dog isn't really helping them not be homeless. It's actually probably mm -hmm. harder to, you know, get shelter, or like whatever, if you have a dog and like, you have to use some of your resources now to feed the dog too. Mm -hmm. Um, but the dog is still adding like that sense of like purpose and hope in their life. Um, and so I was kind of thinking of that in a similar way with Elantris of like, I don't know. I mean, building a house isn't going to make them not Elantrians anymore, 
but mm-hmm. it's going to provide that purpose and hope that you need to live that like adds meaning to life. Yeah. So I kind of took that in a slightly different direction where you have these adults where they, they can't find the purpose for themselves, mm-hmm. but they can be strong for others. And then that gives them strength. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. So it's like, I know like with parents a lot, they go through a lot for their kids. And if you just look at it on like a sheet of paper, you're like, that seems like really hard and miserable, but the parent is able to be strong because they're like, I need to, for my kids, if it were just for me, I would give up. Right. But because I have these people relying on me, I'm able to be stronger than I am on my own. You're able to kind of like draw in this inner strength. And you yeah. see that with Karada and the adults taking care of the children. And then you see it with Rayodin starting his new club where he's like, I need to be strong for these people that I've brought here. Right. Yeah. And even though it gives him strength, it's still, it also, it like it makes him strong, but then it also eats away at him as more and more people he's relying like he's responsible for yeah yeah I like that that it's like you know also showing the reality of like it's hard when people rely on you um and it mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of the giver when the one person is uh, like taking on all of the I honestly forget was it like all the suffering or like all of the mm-hmm. bad things for everybody and like it's a really big burden mm-hmm. scary um yeah so it just reminded me of that yeah uh, so exactly, I agree. So the line that I had was that Karada had lived for over a year under the burden he, Rayodin, was just beginning to feel. She was tired. He could see it in her eyes. Now, if the time came, she could rest. She had passed her weight onto him. Right. So Rayodin's only been here for 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> he's only been here for like 10 days and he's already like okay I'm kind of tired I have like a gang of seven people now and now he is responsible for all these children and these adults and he's like he's seeing that he wants to do this but he's also seeing that it's not he won't be able to do it forever right yeah what's interesting here is that we it seems like even if you're you know, trying your best as an Elantrian and like trying not to get hurt or whatever. Like there just comes a breaking point for everybody. And like mm-hmm. that happens with the kids of like, they're really happy at one moment, but then the next day they like just totally break apart and they like kind of go insane. And so it mm-hmm. seems like it's inevitable almost that Karada is going to ha- reach her ba- breaking point. Um, mm-hmm. And so now um, she has like Rayodin to take care of her people, but Rayodin's also going to reach his breaking point at some point. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I think things will get fixed before then, but we will see. But I think this is definitely putting pressure where Rayodin doesn't have all the time in the world to get his new society up and running. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of a wrap for me on chapter 13. Yeah, I think that's good for me. So now we're going to go to chapter 14 with Serene. And those are always more complicated because she has all of these political people in her sphere. Mm -hmm. So before we get into that summary, I'd like to go over the women's circle. 
All right. who we get introduced to in this chapter. So in the first chapter or the previous chapter with Serene, we were introduced to the boys club. In this one, we get introduced to the women's circle, which is kind of like a counterweight to them. So the ladies in the women's circle, we have Queen Eshin. We haven't really talked about her, but we've kind of mentioned her a little bit. She's the wife to Queen Iodon and the stepmom to Rayodin. So we have the queen, we have Serene, we have Deora, which is Kin's wife, also Lucal's mom. We have Atara, that's Duke Tellery's wife. So the only thing of important to note here is that Duke Tellery, we know, is on Team Hrathen. Mm-hmm. He was not in and the his. Club. He was not in the boys club. He's team Harathan, but we have Kin who is in the boys club. Okay. Then we have Sedan, which is count Ahan's wife and count Ahan is one of the boys clubs. Then we have Terena, who is the daughter of Ahan and Sedan. Sedan. Okay. So those are the ladies in the girls club. So basically you have a representative from Telri who we don't know where she stands with Harathan, but her husband is fraternizing with the enemy. We have Deora, which is Kin's wife, who we would probably call Serene's ally. We have Queen Eshin. We don't know about her. King Iodon is really rude to her, so... She and could either, yeah. Wait, what? Oh, and she seems like really flighty. Like she always talks a lot and doesn't really talk about serious things. Yeah, she's presented in a very poor light. And then we have Sedan and Terena, who are um, the wife and daughter of Ahan, who is part of the boys club. So those are the people that we're introduced to in this chapter. So that... All right. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is women's club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's women's okay. club, but there's also a part two. So, it starts yes. off with her in the knitting circle and they're all chatting away. Um, and they talk about this is kind of like, you know, where news gets passed around. Um, they talk about Lord Warren, who is maybe being converted to um, Jadith's religion. Um, that's that's something that's something that happened in chapter 12. Okay. with Harathan. He was one of the people that was like, okay, I'm going to join your club before Diloph did his hate speech in the corner. Okay. <laughs> right. He was pre-Diloph. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we have, um, they talk about that. Uh, another big thing that comes up in their conversation is Serene is like, hey, we should all learn how to fence. That's not really how it comes up, but she's more, you know, crafty than that. Um, mm-hmm. But then all the women are like, fence? We're not allowed to exercise. And so like there's a really different dynamic between um, mm-hmm. where Serene comes from and like how what women are able to do there versus what women are able to do in Arulon. Um, but the women seem pretty interested in fighting. Um, and I highlighted this one line, which I just thought, I was like, oh my gosh, where she's talking about fencing. And it says, the woman's eyes shone with an appalling level of bloodlust like the eyes of hounds that had been locked in a very small room for far too long. I was like, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> yeah. This got intense. Uh, yeah. Um, 
So anyway, so, but they're interested in learning how to fence. And so um, Serene is kind of now also leading the women and like trying to, you know, empower them and get them to do more things and stuff. So that happens. And then the part two of this chapter is, uh, well, there's a few things. Serene talks with her Eon for a little bit of like, what has the Eon found out about Elantrians? Um, mm-hmm. So I guess part three then is Serene finally gets to go to a ball and she's going with... Um, Shudan. Shudan is the dark-skinned kind of Asian featured person who's part of the boys club. Okay, right. Yeah, so she's going as Shudan's date and Shudan's like, I'm so glad you're coming with me because normally I'm just surrounded by hordes of women who want to (laughs) be my date and now they're not. I was like, okay, interesting. So anyways, um, (laughs) so she finally makes it to a ball and she's like, I have to meet everyone here. And so she's on this like big quest um, but see, they get to go to like the secret place where all the rich people go because she's with Shudin. Um, and mm-hmm. there King Iodin is there with his wife and Horathan is in the room. So this is just like real interesting. All the stories are starting to intersect now, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and something happens, um, King Iodin has to, it's, I forget exactly what the conversation's about, but, um, basically Serene has been acting like really like um what's the word like dumb a dum-dum dumb. yeah okay yeah oh. dumb, dumb. bimbo <laughs> right um so that she can sneak into the court um but Iodin is about to have like this big conversation that Serene can overhear and Harathan notices this and Harathan is like oh I can't believe the king is gonna have such a big conversation in front of such a dum-dum and <laughs> is like oh my gosh you're right and then he leaves and so now Serene is like, oh, shoot, maybe I shouldn't have pretended to be such a dumb dumb. Um, and there's a good line by one of the guys, maybe it's Shudin, um, who's like, you know, I've always found that it's better to just be yourself. Honesty is the best policy kind of thing. Um, well, when then, you are a noble man who has full rights, I'm sure that's a lot easier to do than <laughs> someone who is treated like a second class citizen. That's a good point. That's a good point. And Serene kind of says that she's like, you know, even if I had even if he knew I was so smart, I don't think it would have changed anything. And so, but it is a little complicated now because mm-hmm. I kind of have to stay in this role that I've made for myself. But yeah, and so then they stay and then Serene is like, okay, gotta meet everybody. So they stay like way past when Shudin wants to go. Um, and yeah, she does it. They get back late at night and she's like, all right, a good day. I've made up for the last week of not going to balls. So I'm trying to remember what was the big thing that happened with Iodon that made him leave? Yeah, I remember what leave. it was while I found it. Oh, good, good, good. Okay, so basically a messenger, It's we don't really know what it is, which is why we didn't remember. And the messenger oh, good. comes up and he's like, King Iodon, and he like whispers this thing, and Iodon's like, oh. And then he whispers some more, and Iodon's like, stop all the whispering, I can't stand it. And so then the messenger's going to tell him, and Serene can hear now. Um, but this is when Harathan says, I can't believe you'd say such an important thing in front of such a dum-dum. And then they leave. So we don't okay. know what the message is. Oh, but we know that it was something that happened just this week. That's something. Like okay. That. Okay. Good. Good. I was like, why didn't I write this down? But that would make sense. Cause I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think that's a good summary. Um, what were some things that stuck out to you? Okie dokie. Um, all right. So the fencing thing with the bloodlust woman's eyes, that was interesting. Um, at the ball, 
I thought it was really interesting. Um, I forget who said this. Maybe it was Shudin or maybe it was Serene. Um, but it's like this super ornate ball, like tons of money. It was like bigger than anything Shudin had seen before. And Shudin had been to a lot of fancy balls already. Um, and someone says, one would never know this country is dancing on the edge of destruction because of like all the ornate things going on at the ball. It just kind of gave me like, I don't know, like Marie Antoinette vibes a little bit of like just so disconnected from reality mm-hmm. thing. I thought that was interesting because we've seen that before of like the noble people are very disconnected from like the normal working class people. Yeah. Yeah, they keep all the pores outside of their city. They think of the peasants who do all the work as very lazy. Meanwhile, they're at all of these fancy balls, just having a lot of parties. So there's definitely just a big irony happening and a total disconnect of reality with these noble people. So one of the lines that stuck out to me is when Serene is in the knitting circle. And this is right before, like, or maybe right after the bloodlust fencing comment. She says, perhaps the women of Arleon weren't quite as subservient as their men assumed. And I put in parentheses, or Serene assumed. Mm. Because even though there's all these people who have prejudices against Serene for being a woman, for being Tiosh, da-da-da-da-da, she has a prejudice against the women of Arleon for not being independent or strong women or whatever it is. She thinks of Queen Eshin as just like a dum-dum. When really, that might not be the case at all. It might just be a product of the environment. Right. Yeah, that's a good... Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. I think it's also interesting because at the ball, we see um, Queen Eshan. She like mentions the king. She's like, oh, Serena and I want to start a fencing club and something like that. And so you kind of, I was getting hints that like maybe Queen Eshan isn't as, you know, dim woody as she's been described. And so maybe mm-hmm. it's kind of a common tactic like Serene's doing is to mm-hmm. like appear, you know, like an airhead in front of other people. But actually there's a lot more going on. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're right that Serene was misjudging a lot of the women. And actually, maybe there's they're also ready for uh, a revolution of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime you make people second, second class citizen, people, since people are all equal, in my opinion, in terms of like ability and capabilities, someone who's like, I can be just as X as you. Mm-hmm. In the long term, that's not a equilibrium that people are willing to accept yeah. because the people who are second are like, why am I second? This doesn't make sense. At right. some point, they're going to want to be equals. Yeah. One of the other lines that I noted, which I was just like, Ugh, serene eye roll, was as much as she respected the memory of Riodin, she couldn't possibly wear black again. And I put in parentheses, it has been maybe 12 days at this point (laughs) but she hates the color black i mean it's not even been a full two weeks so i was just kind of like all right girl you're being drama (laughs) this is why we didn't believe her in the last serene chapter when she was like let me be a part of my husband's dream i really do love him everyone's like oh okay i was like yeah we didn't think she was genuine exactly exactly whatever 
Um, okay. So did you have any lines or anything that came out with the knitting circle or the knitting circle? I don't think so. It was mainly the, the bloodlust really stuck out to me. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but it, but it was interesting seeing like the, the counter to the men's club, Mm -hmm. the knitting circle. Okay. So what about the ball? Anything stick out there? Um, Oh, I thought it was interesting. Okay, so when they're in the fancy room with all the rich people and King Iden is there. Um, what line was this? I don't I don't think I wrote down. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So um basically how this extra special room happens is King Iodine walks into a room and then he this is now like designated as a cool person table. And people Mm -hmm. with power just kind of gravitate towards him. And it's kind of like an unspoken thing of like, you need to have a certain level of prestige to be in this room. Um, And I thought it was interesting because in a, I think in a previous chapter, Rayodin had said that King Iodin still really liked children's stories, something like that. And so Mm. it seems that King Iodin is just kind of like a child and he likes children's stories and he really enjoys his power and he's just kind of like doing all the things he can to like enjoy it right yes. now right he's definitely know. what um old money would call new money yeah yeah mm-hmm. so one of the things that stuck out to me so this whole ball is hosted by um Tellery, and like you said it was like over the top extravagant so Shudin, Serene's date, says to hurt the ball. But he, Talri, is far more clever than most will take credit. The Duke is easy with his money, but there is usually a purpose behind his frivolity. That's always how it is, though, isn't it? Shudin asked. Those who can least afford extravagance seem to be the ones most determined to spend what they have left. And I think this is very poignant, especially in our very, like, consumer-driven world where you can kind of look on social media or look at your friends or look at whatever and you're like how do they go on all these trips how do they afford this how or how do all these people do all these crazy things and a lot of times it's because they're spending everything that they have to kind of create this appearance that they're doing better than they are yeah right Although here it's kind of interesting because there's a part where in the like fancy rich club room, um, Duke Tellery comes in and there's like a very noticeable, like Tellery says hi to everyone except Rathen. And so it seems like a very purposeful, like ignoring each other. And so it Mm -hmm. seems that maybe Rathen was a part of this extra extravagant ball. And maybe going back to like his proposal with the seon in the last chapter, maybe this was part of it. Maybe Tellery somehow happened upon all this money to throw a rich ball so that he has more influence. I, I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I think that's a correct assessment. I think you're right about just normal life. That is. Yeah. That's, yeah. Okay. Um. Let's think. Any other quotes from the ball? So I had one. So at the end of the men's club, Serene's like, I, I need to get involved in these balls. And then the old men were like, well, we'll take you because we are all just old men and it won't seem odd that you're a a grieving widow if you go with 
one of us because we're just totally not on the market. And then the first person she goes with who is Shudin, who then says that he is always surrounded by hordes of women. <laughs> and I was just like, I good point. I, I didn't get that. I was like, why did like maybe I could see, oh, he takes her to the third or fourth ball. But it seems like she should have gone with like even Royal, who is like a real oldie. He's apparently a very eligible bachelor because he's got tons of money and he's single knocking on death's door yeah <laughs> um so it just kind of seemed like this was kind of a weird pairing yeah that's a good point yeah, yeah. we don't really know why she went with shooting <laughs> oh but she asked him i think that was which is also kind of interesting yeah i was just like i don't know where the strategy is in this yeah maybe maybe it's gonna come back to her because she wasn't wearing black and she's with this eligible bachelor which is probably not great <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so I had another line that I pulled out and it's kind of long but I I think it um kind of summarizes this whole religion conflict that we have between everybody so Shudin's face darkens slightly eyeing the Jorn being Harathan I wonder what the great master thought when his two students Karath who went to Arleon and Tiod, and Dereth, who the Jorn Parathen follows, left to preach to the lands northward. Kessig, the main guy, taught of unity. But what did he mean? Unity of mind, as my people assume? Unity of love, as your priests, Tiod, claim? Or is it the unity of obedience, as the Dorethi believe? In the end, I'm left to ponder how mankind managed to complicate such a simple concept. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of religions, especially Christianity, how you have all these different denominations where it kind of seems like when you look at it from a high level, it feels like they're splitting hairs mm -hmm. on things. Right. And, it, and it's like, would it be better if you just didn't split the hairs? Right. Yeah. And it does seem like a missing of the core message of like unity, love. And I'm like, okay, got it. But it's seems like we might be missing the mark in some places. Mm -hmm. And then I also wrote maybe unity of hope because it kind of seems like Serene and Rayodan are representing, they're uniting people by giving them hope. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, And then the next thing that I wrote is in direct um, relation to that first quote about Shudin describing all the religions. And then, so Serene in response, Serene nodded. I agree. Shudareth must be stopped. It's a perversion of the truth. Shudin paused. I didn't say that, Lady Serene. The, sh the soul of Shu Kaseg, the main religion, is acceptance. There's room for all teachings. The Durethi think they are doing what is right. And so then I commented, Serene believes in unity of love, but she hates the Dorothy. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Well, I mean, I think that's like a, I don't know. That's interesting because if you think something is wrong or evil, like, shouldn't you hate mm -hmm. it? I don't know. I don't know. It's like the tolerance thing. I tolerate everyone except unless they're intolerant. Yeah. Like, Therefore, you're not tolerant. 
Right. Yeah. So, but, but that kind of also goes back to Harathan and Diloph, which is interesting because Harathan and Diloph are trying to unite people in hate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a thought there, but I'm forgetting it. Well, probably because Serene believes in uniting people with love and they're doing the exact opposite. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing the exact opposite. Um, but she also seems to, you know, be hateful towards this group. Mm-hmm. Do you have any more thoughts on the ball? Um, on the ball, I don't think so. Um, but there's like the one last part in that chapter. You want to talk about that? Mm, what was it? Um, so she comes back home, or you know, to the palace oh, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's like this whole drama happening. Um, and I think like all the guards are. They says they're scrambling around, yelling at each other, and she's like, "What's going on?" And then he says. Someone broke into the palace tonight, snuck right through the king's bedchambers. And then she says, is anyone hurt? They said, no. They're just trying to figure out like who came into the palace. But it's interesting mm-hmm. because Rayodin and Karada, their mm-hmm. secret passageway goes right through the king's bedchambers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it made me think like, oh, are they back? Did Rayodin come to see Serene? Which I don't think so. In general, with perspective books, each rotation is happening at the same time. Okay, I thought of that too. But when Rayodin and Karada came, the king was asleep. Oh, so maybe the king had already come home. He came yeah, home Serene. that's how I took it because Serene stayed really late. Okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, and so, so I'm, imagining, I'm imagining the king had a lot to drink. He was partying, blah, 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 blah. He goes home and he's in like a stupor. Okay of right. asleep that makes sense and so then that's how they're able to sneak in that's how i took it okay oh so this is interesting then because how did they know because uh Rayodin and karada had left the guard who is karada's husband mm-hmm. said don't move for an hour or else you'll die or something. yeah and so yeah. i guess after the hour maybe he moved and told people or maybe mm-hmm. was he worried i mean he, his sword was stolen so there was kind of physical evidence that someone had um well, maybe another guard saw him standing. I'm like, what are you doing? And then he said this. <laughs> yeah, I can't move, but you can go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So then I guess, interesting. So this chapter is really interesting then, because this is the first time where all three perspectives are intersecting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. That's what I like about perspective books is that it kind of adds this additional dimension to the storytelling. Right. You're trying to see how are these all going to connect? Mm-hmm. And so we didn't explain this in the summary, but basically what happened with Rayodin and Karada is that as they're trying to escape, Karada sees her husband. He doesn't recognize her. Um, and he's gonna he's gonna capture them. But Rayodin draws one of the magical Aeon signs and it kind of glows. So it looks magical, but it ends up not doing any magic. But Rayodin bluffs and says, it is working and if you do something you're gonna if you move in the next hour you're gonna die and so that's how they end up escaping okay um yeah so the only other thing that i had to note on this chapter is that it gave me a lot of cringe from sanderson um when shootin and royal the old man are talking about how they're eligible bachelors oh yeah i didn't like that either oh my god i was like this is 
cringe. And Royal is talking about these women who want to marry him for his fortune. And he said, if I were going to let them steal my fortune, I'd at least make them work for it. And Serene's like, ha 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 ha, you're so funny. And I was like, that is, I get it. It's a transaction, right? Like if you're going to quote unquote, be like gold digging. Yeah. I, I just, the whole thing, I was like, hate that. <laughs> I Did Serene like genuinely laugh? I'm trying to find that part. Or was she also like, oh, that was weird. I feel like she was like, ha ha ha, like I'm a boy's girl. Serene. Like, yeah. I was like, gross. Yeah, I know. I didn't like that either. On the other hand, I'm like, well, I mean, you shouldn't like just be after someone for their money. But that's, yeah. neither is great. Don't like either. Okay, so that puts a cap, I think, on our summary. I had a fun little game. Oh, okay. I thought we could do. So in the back of the book, Sanderson has all of these aeons and says, like, what they mean. Oh. And so everyone from Arleon and Tiod, well, not everyone, but most of them, have an aeon built into their name. And so we know that because Rayodin his aeon means spirit right and that's kind of how some people catch on that he's the prince so i went through everyone's names and pulled out the people who have a matching aeon and so i was just going to go through the people and tell you what their aeon means and then just kind of get your impression on it oh okay 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 so Serene, her um, Aeon is N-A, and the name means wit. Wit. She is very witty. And yeah, that, that seems a bit. Yeah, that seems pretty straightforward. Okay. Her Sion, her little fairy thing, is named Ash, and that Aeon means light or illumination. That seems like every Sion could be named Ash. Yeah. But, you know, say, I mean, she kind of uses her say on to go like scout things out. And so she, he's like bringing light to things. So. Oh, yeah. I like that. Okay. Ken, her uncle, his name means justice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he's like the most level-headed one of everybody. Like he doesn't have sleeves. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to do the cooking. This is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he seems like the guy for the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Aiden, his autistic son, his aeon means wisdom. Oh, what a twist. So that's the one that like seems counterintuitive, but Aiden's going to come back mm-hmm. and save everybody. So. Okay. King Iodon, his aeon means trust or reliable. Oh, I think that's also a twist where it's like he is neither of those things. Um, mm. So I think it's more like an, an ironic name. Mm. Okay. Rayodin, we know, means spirit. Um, One of the boys club, Ian Dell. So he's the military genius, owns a small personal army, and has openly opposed King Iodon. His um, aeon means willpower or endurance. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and he's the one who's about to lose his fortune. Is that right? Mm-mm. That's um, T. E- or Eden. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. 
Um, so we don't know a lot about Ian Dell right now, but just keep that in mind. Right. Um, Royal, the rich old gross man, his name means helpful or aid. Okay. Yeah. That, that's kind of interesting because he seems more like a leader and I don't initially think like associate leader with like helper, you know, mm -hmm. but I think the role that he's playing right now is more of a helper to Serene. Mm. Okay, Count Ahan. So this is the foil to Royal. I didn't mean to do that until mm -hmm. I started saying it. Um, but they're always in competition. He's the very fat, jolly man. His name means breath or, or air. We don't know a lot about him yet, so I don't think we can say too much. Yeah. Eden, this is the guy who's going to lose all his money in three months. His name means superiority. Oh, interesting maybe he's always trying to be superior but he mm -hmm. has been working out very well yeah okay so queen eshen her name means gift or endowment endowment mm -hmm. or oh. gift yeah well that that's where all of king Iden's money came from right was eshen's mm -hmm. dad or something so that's a bummer she's been reduced to just her money <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i agree okay Deora, Kin's wife, Lucal's mom, her name means stability. Oh, I do like Deora a lot. She seemed, she also seemed level-headed. They seem like a great match. So yeah, mm -hmm. it seems like Kin and Deora are both kind of like the the rock kind of anchoring the men's club and ladies' mm -hmm. circle. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, Atara, Duke Tellery's wife, her name means smoothness. Ooh. So we don't know a lot right now, but... Maybe keep that in mind. Um, Sedan, so Ahan's wife. Ahan being the okay. very fat, jolly man. Um, her name means chastity and faithfulness. All right. And then their daughter's name means kindness. They're all nice names. And then Karada, her, she also shares um, the eon of smoothness. Oh, okay, okay. That's why their mm -hmm. names rhyme. Okay, yeah, so yeah. does not everyone have an Aeon with their name? Not everyone, but generally if you come from um, Tiod, or if you come from, I'm forgetting what it's called now, Arleon, or Arlon, um, then you have a higher chance of having an Aeon in your name. Okay, right, More the common. heathenist places where mm -hmm. they use aeons okay yep and then the last one i have is tellery and his name means wealth makes sense that's cool i didn't realize that that was all in there i don't think my book has the like glossary of aeons it's in the very back i i looked in the very back i i see the postscript yeah right before that um starts on like 618 for me oh, i see elantris deleted scenes that's cool. Okay, I guess I thought that was the actual book. Okay, yeah, I do. I thought the deleted mm -hmm. scene was part of the book, so I didn't want to look through it. Oh, okay. yeah, no. Oh, cool. All right. And I guess each chapter then is starting when it has like the little figure mm -hmm. symbol thing. It's actually an Aeon. That's kind of interesting. I'm sure there's a reason for... We should one. probably start looking at that and see. Yeah, I guess it's the, the name of it, the name of the chapter. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Okay, well, I totally misspelled that. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Well, that's all I had for today.
Me too. Good chatting with you. Yeah. I'll see you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye.